0: Before we jump into the series, I want to hit pause just a second, and I want to acknowledge uh, something this morning, or some people this morning. Lance and Deanna, would you guys mind standing, please? This month marks five years as Lance serving as our executive pastor. We just want to say we love you and we honor you. Lance wears a lot of hats. It's It's a very conflicted or Uh, distracting job. Um, You kind of almost have to suffer from multiple personality disorder to do it well. Uh, Managing church school, daycare at the same time. And he came into this job. He was a lay leader on our leadership team prior to coming on staff. Uh, But he came into this job and kind of thought he'd figured some stuff out in 2019. And then the pandemic began. And so I, I truly can't imagine what the last five years would look like without this brother. I love you. Fear not. This Advent series is focusing on appearances of very fearful moments and very fearful beings. Angels showing up and not with necessarily unfearful news. And so they begin their conversations by saying, don't be afraid of the fact that I'm fearful looking and that I'm going to tell you fearful things. And so we we began this journey. If you've not been tracking with us, you can go to our YouTube channel. We started with not an appearance of an angel, and we started with not a fear not. We started actually in a story that only had fear. And then we looked last week at Zachariah and Elizabeth faithfully serving the Lord we said last week maybe faithfulness is a little underrated in our culture. It might not be trendy or groovy, but man, faithfulness is where it's at. And, and we, we saw uh, the appearance of an angel there saying, do not have fear. This morning we continue in this idea believing that fear is just a reality of the human experience. Sometimes I think in the church, because the scriptures tell us uh, not to be governed and controlled by fear, sometimes we've sent an unhealthy message saying that there's no such thing as scary things in a broken world. The reality is that how we navigate fear is a delicate and difficult thing. And for some of us, we we hit a scary thing and all of a sudden it becomes a terrifying thing. And then all of a sudden perhaps we're dealing with anxiety in our brokenness. And then for some, dealing with a full-blown anxiety disorder, diagnosable. 42.5 million adults in the U.S. at some point in time will be a, have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. We live in a broken world. Sometimes there just is fear. So some, if we're not careful, if we don't read the context, fear not can almost sound tone deaf when we're scared. And I'll tell you this. I've had a lot of conversations with people dealing with a thing they're afraid of that doesn't scare me as much as it seems to scare them. Right? Maybe you have a friend that has a certain phobia and you're like, I'm not afraid of that at all. Right? Uh, My son Garrett thinks snakes are the coolest thing. I am absolutely scared to death of snakes. I think something's wrong with him that he's not, right? And in that same way, well, his roommate, Ethan, is home from college, and he's like, no, there's a lot wrong with Garrett. Can I talk to you about it after church? <laughs> it's like the closest to an amen I've ever gotten out of Ethan Harp right there. <laughs> uh, scroll. Uh Fear. Yes. So for us to have a different fear than someone else or for them to have a different fear than us, we kind of just have to put ourselves in their mindset or in their heart or in their shoes, as they say. And I think that's true of the Christmas story as well. I'm going to challenge you as we read the text this morning to not read the Christmas story, but to read a real person in a terrifying actual moment, like a human being with flesh and blood and with a plan for her future, and, and with that humanity, I'm going to invite you, please, to grab your Bibles. Uh, if you're a guest today, we have a tradition here that we say a creed and a prayer before we jump into this book. Um, and if that's not where you're at in your spiritual journey, don't feel obligation to join us in that. Um, but if you believe about this book, what we believe about this book, then join with us in that tradition as we hold up our Bibles and say this together today. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up in this text where we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you and we'll be on page 803. Luke chapter number 1. Picking up where we left off last week, and this week we move to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're going to pick up um, starting in verse number 26. In the sixth month, the sixth month of what? Uh, You can go watch last week's sermon. That's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy where she's probably over 60 years old, right? Uh, Nowadays we call that a... Geriatric pregnancy, right? This is this is like Uber geriatric pregnancy, right? Everybody, all the women over sixty are like, "Yes, Lord, that's that's very geriatric." Please no, Lord. <laughs> fear, I got fear, not fear, not okay. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin again. Please try to enter the moment and see the humanity of this. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. If you remember from our first week in this and last week, the word trouble is other, uh, in other texts is translated terrified. So she wasn't like, you know, cut your chin, like, hmm. She's like, ah, right? This is terrifying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Again, our good old King James friends in the room, fear not, right? Do not be afraid. For you found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And she's like, yeah, you mean a lot later, Right? You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Please, again, if we can enter this moment, if we can try to enter this moment, because we really can't, this young Jewish girl has heard every Messianic whisper of hope that there's ever been. She's hearing this going, you, you, you got the wrong number. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I have been to biology class? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, the language there overshadows just such a beautiful picture. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, as in set apart, as in other, as in unlike any other child that's ever been born, none other than the Son of God. And Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her, who was called... Barren. Don't you just love that? How hope changes our whole identity. She used to be called barren. Now she's called pregnant. <laughs> Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, and this is the heart of where I really want us to land today And. I know I've said this, I think I probably say this every year, like it's just difficult to preach the same story year after year after year when you've been here for, for the same church for so long. I think one of the reasons pounce, uh, pastors bounce from church to church is probably the intimidation of preaching through Advent every year. <laughs> like I can just recycle my old sermons if I'll go somewhere new, right? It's, it's, and yet with just fresh eyes for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit's helped me see her response here in a whole fresh way. If Mary was a young teenage girl today this verse would have been translated and Mary said bet <laughs> or if if Mary was in a text conversation with the angel she responded k which is enormous like can we not Miss the point of this, like in the the magic and the wonder of the Christmas story, like in the dead center of this beauty, is simple obedience. Like, not an extraordinary woman with an extraordinary powerful position. No, an ordinary woman of God who said, Yes, Lord, I'll submit to you. I will obey what you've called me to do. Like in the, the dead heart of the Christmas story is this girl who says... I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm not my own servant. I'm not Joseph's servant. I'm not my parent's servant. I'm not the culture's servant. God, I'll do what you tell me to do. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel was like, I've heard all on you, dear. Like at the heart of this is simple obedience. And the reason I think the idea of fear not marries well with the idea of obedience is because obedience is scary. To really trust God is scary. What I want to do this morning uh, for a few moments together is, is look at the idea of obedience through the lenses of Mary's obedience. And what I want to look at is the why of obedience, because if we don't have the why, right, none of this makes sense. And then we're going to look at the when of obedience. So when are we called to obey? And if that's true, then we're going to look at the, the how, We're going to look at three little hows. One of them we're going to park on. The other two are are really kind of obvious and self-explanatory. And then we'll look at the end, the end result of that kind of obedience. And so first I want to start with the why. Why do we obey? And the answer is we obey because of the grace and presence of a loving God. We do not obey to get or earn or deserve The grace and presence of God, because we can't. We cannot obey perfectly enough to earn the unearned. That's the definition of grace. We cannot obey enough to be worthy of the manifest presence of a holy and perfect God. The goal of religion is that we would behave in such a way that we would earn or deserve God's grace and God's presence. And the beauty of the gospel, starting with the advent of the Son of God, is we don't obey to get. We obey because it's been so undeservedly, freely, abundantly given. Before the angel asks anything... ...or demands anything of Mary... ...he says, greetings, O favored one... ...or you who are most favored... ...or highly favored one, depending on the translation that you use. He speaks of her grace before he asks of her obedience. And that's true for you and me too. We don't behave together. And that's the danger of the Christmas season... Is we have a cultural message of uh, of Christmas that Santa brings the good gifts to the good boys and girls. That is not the message of the gospel. God brings the best gift to broken people who couldn't possibly begin to be good enough no matter how hard we tried. As a matter of fact, nothing causes more uh, obstacles to receiving that gift than thinking that we're actually good. (laughs) It's the opposite. The beauty of Christmas is that he meets us this, that whole phrase that's translated in ESV, all favored one. That's, that's one word. All favored one. Person who has been endowed with grace. If we took a real literal translation of that word, of that word. Like, you've been swallowed up in grace. Right? Like, you, you got a, a, a whole ton of grace. Like, you're swimming in it. More than enough. Abundance. Overflow. Right? Before he asks anything of her, he tells her, you're swimming in grace. And that's the same thing he does for us. Here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so incredible. This awesome word, like abundance of grace is yours and you're swimming in it and overflowing in it, like that whole phrase that's condensed down, is only used one other time in the whole New Testament. And it's used of the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. We have this beautiful uh, introduction to this, this incredible letter. In him, in his great love, he predestined us for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will. Verse number five, to the praise of his glorious grace. No, that's not the word. You think that's the word, right? It's not the word. With which he has blessed us. That whole phrase is the merry word. Like whole, can I just say buttload of grace? Is, is that offensive to anybody? Because that's all I keep starting to say. And that's why I keep stopping. Because like what's in my mind is just a buttload of grace. If that's offensive to you, you can email Lance. <laughs> Subject line, congrats on your anniversary. I'm offended at buttload. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's not just true for Mary, and therefore she's called to obedience. That's true for you and me. And the beauty of this, he's blessed us like this in the beloved. That's a reference to Jesus himself. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Right? That's all Ephesians chapter 1. And then it goes on to say, according to... To the mystery of his will. That's behavior language. That we would submit to that. That we would obey that. According to his purpose. That's obedient language. Which he set forth as a plan. That's behavior language. So even in Ephesians chapter 1. This beauty of grace is on us. The reason we submit to the will and the purpose and the plan of God. Is because he's chosen to pour out his grace on us. Which means, which means grace is not just God's favor for salvation. Grace is God's fuel for obedience. When God meets us with a call to obedience, we're like, "Mm, I don't know if I can obey. What we mean in that moment is, I don't know if I actually believe the gospel. Because if you're saying, I don't know that I have it in me to obey, that's anti-gospel language. Gospel language is, of course I don't have it in me. He has it. That's why I turn to Him. Because of the abundance of His grace, He calls us to obedience. Which means... Hear this. And this doesn't have to be as good of news to you as it is to me. Because maybe you got your stuff together way more than I do. I am thrilled this Christmas that God's grace and God's obedience are not dependent on my obedience. God's grace and God's presence are not dependent on my obedience. Like God's not withholding His kindness. God's not withholding His closeness until I get it all together. Hallelujah! Because I'd be spending this Christmas... Far from him. And apart from grace, if it was up to me to earn it. The beauty of the gospel message. Because he appears to Mary. And he says, this swimming in grace. Oh, highly favored one phrase. And then tells her, the Lord is with you. And we're reading it like, well, duh, I know the Christmas story. Has she not read this before? Like, time out! Remember last week we talked about the... Thousands of years from the whisper of promise where the messiah hadn't showed up yet And he's like, no, no, no. He's present with you Oh The reason he would say here's why you should obey without fear You're covered in god's grace and he is present with you hallelujah Changes everything every year the the makers of the YouVersion Bible app. Try to track what they call the verse of the year. Praise God for the team at Life Church with Craig Rochelle. They created the YouVersion Bible app. It's broken records for the number of downloads in the app store. It's an awesome thing. Many of you probably have that. Well, every year they track what's the verse that the global community has interacted with the most. In this past, uh, about two weeks ago, they, they did that math. And then they published a blog this week about that idea. Um, Maurice actually got the email from Uversion and sent it to me. The verse of the year for 2023, the verse that was shared, bookmarked, and highlighted the most, is Isaiah 41:10. Do not fear, for I am with you. And if he says the first half without giving us the second half, it just sounds unrealistic. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Don't fear, because I'm here. And the rest of that verse, that's just the first part of it. It gets even better. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, I'm with you. What's interesting is not just that this was The most interacted with verse in the Bible in 2023. What's interesting is that was also the verse of the year in 2020. (laughs) And then I think we all had a lot of hopes for 21, but it was also the verse of the year in 2022. And then again, this year in 2023, I think God is trying to ring the bell of his people and saying either I'm enough or you can be controlled by fear. He is present. Mary was not called to fearlessness or obedience before she was reminded grace in abundance is yours and I am here. Therefore, don't let fear keep you in disobedience. The why of God's grace is just because he's good. His grace and his presence are ours for the claiming. So, if that's true, I'm not obeying to earn something. I'm actually obeying out of the enjoyment of a thing. When are we called to do so? If that's the why, then when is the when of obedience? And here's the first thing we see in Mary's story, is we are called to obedience in the interruptions. That, that simple language of a virgin betrothed to a man like, that, that gives me whispers of, like, the movie Notting Hill with Julia Roberts. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. Right? Anybody? If you do know what I'm talking about? I'm just a virgin standing in front of the betrothed. Like, like this, is, this is a plan season. By the way, you're not betrothed without a whole lot of planning. There's almost as much planning that goes into the beginning of a betrothal as our wedding ceremony. If you're not familiar with the language of betrothal, it's somewhere between the end of engagement and beginning of marriage. You're, you are fully and legally committed to one another. You just haven't started life together yet. If, again, we said in modern context, if Mary's response was bet, then Mary's behavior at this point would have been, she would have been pinning ideas to her Pinterest wall of the perfect ceremony, right? Like that. That's the level of excitement. Think about the last wedding you were close to relationally. That level of excitement, right? Mary would have been Googling, how do I change my last name on my socials the day after the wedding? Right? Right? <laughs> she would have been like looking up most popular baby names. Maybe. Take your time. No, easy, tiger. Listen. Sorry, we got newlyweds with anxious grandparents in the house. Mary would have been like writing her new last name, getting used to it, right? Doing all of those things. She'd have been Googling how do we have a trendy name for our ceremony that have Mary and Joseph in it, Right? Mary and Jolly, how can I make that work or something? Like all those, do you get the level of like that's the moment that she's in and God says, I have a different plan for you. Often, God's interruptions seem like they're out of nowhere. They don't align with our plans. But God still calls us to obedience in that. God, it's shocking for some of us who are over planners, right? God calls us to obedience despite all of our best planning. Matter of fact, I love uh, Groschel said, What we call interruptions, God calls invitations. Specifically, invitations to obedience. Which means maybe the thing you're facing right now that feels like it's out of left field I have no idea what that phrase means But if it feels like it's out of left field, you can google that and then email that to lance as well There's no such thing That that thing's not an interruption to your plan. It's a better plan from a sovereign god He's up to something He calls us to obedience in the interruptions And he calls us to obedience in the inconveniences We're going to get progressively more dramatic here with this alliteration. This was at the least an inconvenient time. At the very least. And I'll be honest with you. I've yet to have God ask me if what he's called me to obey him in was convenient for me or not. (laughs) Here's what I mean by that. God calls us to obey even when it's a hard thing. Like, even when it's difficult. And somehow I think we've not made space for that in our theology. God calls us to obedience even in the inconveniences. Even more so, God calls us to obediences in the intimidating. And this story is intimidating both in the present and in the future. Hang with me for a moment. So in that moment, Gabriel... Appears to her. And if, if your idea of an angel. Is of the logo for angel soft toilet tissue. You with me? Like the little naked baby looking thing. Sitting on a cloud with a harp or whatever. I was reading one person. He said angels were fierce like warrior looking beings. Who could level entire nations at one word from God. So this moment, of course, she was troubled, right? But then the implications of what's being asked of her. Like according to Jewish law, do we understand she could lose her life for getting pregnant before the end of the betrothal period? Last week, I quoted Mark Batterson as we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I said, hope is risky. So is obedience Like god asks things of us that we're like, oh wait, this might go poorly Do you realize that being obedient might still result in bad consequences? Because we live in a broken world Doing the right thing does not mean things will go well necessarily the world's more broken than that Sometimes doing the right thing actually means it will be more difficult for a season for a season he calls us to obedience even In the intimidating. And if that's not enough, from the interruption to the inconvenience to the intimidating, God calls us to obedience in the impossible. And I just love that the angel uses that word for her. (laughs) I just love that he calls out there's no such thing in the character and nature of God as impossible. But there sure is on our side of the equation He calls us to obedience even when it doesn't make sense. And we're like, I don't think, hear me. Listen, God calls us to obedience even when we feel like we don't have the capacity to obey. Our capacity to obey is not limited by our emotions in any particular moment. You with me in this? And maybe we sit back and we go, God, it's impossible for me to forgive that person that you're commanding me to obey. I can't obey. I I can't forgive them. It's impossible. Maybe we look at it and we say, God, it it just feels impossible to obey you and continue to fight for this marriage. It just feels impossible to obey you and be generous. And that's a huge one. The, The conversations I have with people who are struggling to obey God with their finances. And by the way, it is a simple matter of obedience. It might not be simple to obey, but it is a simple matter, right? And people will say, you don't understand. We're so leveraged in debt, and things are so difficult, I can't possibly obey this. And, And the beauty is, obedience is not predicated on whether I feel like it's possible or not. There's nothing impossible with God. We are called to obedience. Because of God's grace and God's presence We're called to obedience In the interruption, the inconvenience The intimidating And the impossible How in the world do we do that? Three quick ideas in the story I told you we're going to park on the first one And it's simply this Faith Trusting in the presence and the power of God That his plan Is better than my plan because mary's response is not a lack of faith It's just a statement of observation. It's a great question She's like I i'm a virgin this can't happen, right? How can this be? Meaning hang with me Her obedience was not dependent on her comprehension of what she was being asked Her obedience didn't have to make it through the filter of her mind. Instead, it was through the filter of her God. If I trust him, then I'll obey, even though I don't know how this works. Some have said, maybe you've heard this, fear is the absence of faith. You ever heard that before? Maybe you've tweeted that before or something. We don't tweet anymore. What do we call that now? You exed that? I don't know. Whatever. Google that and email that to Lance. Okay. Um, I guess that's the theme this morning. Fear is the absence of faith. I'll be honest with you. I, I know what the sentiment is there, and I think it's a good sentiment, but I don't actually agree. Fear is not the absence of faith. Fear is the abundance of faith in the wrong things. Fear is when I trust me more than I'm really trustworthy. Because I can't control this. I don't got this. Or fear is when I'm trusting in somebody else who's not as trustworthy as the heart of God. Or fear is when I'm trusting a situation that I don't know what the outcome is going to be or what God's up to. Fear is not the absence of faith. It's misplaced faith. Which means the, the obedience of walking in a fear not just means I've redirected my faith away from self and other people straight into the heart of God. I trust Him. That he has a plan. Now his plan feels like an interruption. Or an inconvenience. It feels intimidating. It feels straight up impossible. But I have faith that his plan is the best plan. Because he's best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe you memorized it as a child. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I think sometimes because the heart's deceitful. The heart tells us that we're trusting in the Lord with all of it. Which is why the importance of the second half of that verse cannot be missed. And do not lean on your understanding. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of moments I've been like, yes, I'm trusting in the Lord because I got this figured out. That's how deceptive my heart is. My heart lies to me about my lack of faith. So instead of leaning on my capacity, I want to lean on God's capacity. And when I do that, what happens is I acknowledge Him in all my ways. That word acknowledge is not like, yep, gotcha. It's not a mental thing. It's a full experiential behavioral knowledge. And then He's the one directing my behavior. He's making my path straight. That's obedience that's driven by, fueled by, and governed by faith. That I trust Him. Not my understanding. That I'm trusting not in what I have figured out, but I'm trusting in, in where we began this morning. In the presence and in the power of God. Because I love the angel's response. She asks a biological question and he responds with a theological answer. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So she did not hear that and go, oh, then I got this. He went, oh, then he's got this. Her yes was predicated on his presence and his power. The reason that I think, and I mean this very respectfully, I know we come from different faith backgrounds The reason that it is my belief that Mary is horrified that people have made a big deal about her Is because I think in that moment she only wanted a big deal to be made of her god She was like oh This is his plan. This is his presence. This is his power. I'm gonna go with that She so trusted in that that she obeyed Even in the impossible and I don't know what God's calling you to. I don't know if there's an area of, of struggle in your heart today about an area that God's convicted you about and you're, you're not wanting to, to trust Him in that. And I just got to tell you, the God of the impossible shows up when we just put our yes on the table. We had the, the privilege through uh, the kindness of a family in our church family here um, we had the privilege of going to the Prestonwood Christmas program yesterday, if you've ever been to it. It's just incredible. But in the kind of beginning, the, the super energetic time where there's the kids' choir is all on the stage and all the adult choir and the lasers and lights, and I mean, it's just a lot. And then a horse walks on the stage. <laughs> and interestingly, the horse came in from the back, and as a pastor, all I could think was, what if that poops in this building? Seriously, that is all like there was no merry Jolly follow. I'm like, it's a horse. My wife was having a similar distraction because she leaned over and went, how is that horse not freaking out? Because as a human, it was sensory overload. Like I'm a little bit like, <laughs> like, how is that thing not trampling one of the little kids on the stage singing? Like, like how this is a disaster in the making. And the reality is, if you looked close at that horse, what do you think you saw on its face? Blinders. Now, that horse walked all around that auditorium. It saw all of the lasers and the lights and the kids and the Elvis Santa dancing at that particular moment. Yes, actually. Praise the Lord. The horse saw all of that. Those blinders just kept its focus on the person taking care of it. Faith is God blinders. Yes, I know that's impossible. I've seen it. Got it. I'm just turning my attention to the one who cares for me. Like I know it's there. I know it's bigger than me. I know it's intimidating. And it might be just straight up impossible. But have you seen my God? He's presence, His power, his manifest power is available to me. So I'm just going to trust his plan. Faith is a healthy set of God blinders in the midst of the impossible. So how do we obey, number one, through faith in the character and nature of God? Quickly, because these are self-explanatory, but they're just too good to not mention. Obedience is fostered through community. I... Love the intentionality of the timing of this story and it didn't have to be that way. This is just the goodness of God that he would tell her your relative that has a name flesh and blood like not just you belong to a community no, Elizabeth you know her you've been to family reunions together like a person with flesh and blood knows what's up and in the same way when God calls us to trust And obey he says good news You don't have to do it alone Part of mary's obedience here was she said yes to god And then she got up and went to the community With whom the lord had invited her Does that make sense? So for some of us we're like man i'm having a really hard time seeing victory in my obedience And my question is are you getting up and walking into the spiritual community that god's making available to you? One of the difficulties about the holidays is we've filled them so full of busyness that there's actually not a lot of connection. It's the illusion of connection because we went to a lot of events. And I would just challenge you this holiday season, this is not the season to withdraw. This is the season to intentionally engage with people that you know are seeking to also obey the Lord. Because also another difficulty in the holidays is many of us, our schedules demand that for some of us, we spend a lot of time with people who aren't following the Lord. That means we've got to build intentionality into it that says, I'm going to go see my relative Elizabeth. You're like, no, actually, my relative Elizabeth is, <laughs> whatever. Like, <laughs> metaphorically, your relative Elizabeth. I love that God in His kindness invited her into community. And by the way, what happened in that moment is... She walks into the house and greets Elizabeth. And that baby that we studied about last week leaps inside of her womb at the sound of the mother of God's voice. Such an awesome moment. And Elizabeth is like, oh, something's up. Right? Here's the other practical observation is obedience is fostered through the word. I love the intentionality of Mary's language here. She says, let it be according to your word. There's a word from God that I'm submitting to and obeying. And here's why that's important. It is hard to obey what we don't know. If we are not fostering a relationship with this book, and maybe when I say to you, is there something in your life that you're struggling with obedience in, maybe you would say, I don't know, because I haven't heard from God in a long time. One of the first trips to Florida after we moved here to come serve at this church, we'd gone back to see our family. We were driving back from Jacksonville. And I came into Texas, and I was excited about that drive with young kids in the van. Because when you get to Texas, that means you're getting off of the horrid roads in Louisiana. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord? Like, should we give them some tax money or something? It's ridiculous. They'd probably spend it in the bayou or something, whatever. <laughs> I was also excited because it means the speed limit goes up. God bless Texas. I'm ready to get home. And so I pushed the little minivan, you know, another 10 miles an hour. It was late. I was tired. We've been driving for a long time. I didn't realize that we hit a a pocket where the speed limit dropped. I didn't know. But that Texas state trooper did. (laughs) He pulled me over and said, do you know what the speed limit is here? And the honest answer was, no. He didn't say, well, then don't worry about it, little fella. Now, because I am highly favored by God, I got a warning. Just kidding. That time. Here's the thing. Just like he said, well, this is the speed limit whether you paid attention to it or not. God has given us his word. As a matter of fact, he's made it more available to us than any generation in the history of humankind. And we are accountable. And so in the busyness of the season, I just want to challenge you, if you're going to skip something or miss something, don't miss your time listening to the voice of God. And if you need some help with some of that intentionality, let me just say, before you leave today, you can go to the prayer room in the back. We have five different Advent devotionals, one for families of little kids, one for families of older kids, and a couple individual ones. They're great. If you want to know which one of the five I recommend for you personally, come ask me. I'd be happy to tell you my opinion. But there are resources that are there for you. You're like, man, we're so stretched financially. Just take one. Those are resources for you. It's fine. And even now, say, God, would you cultivate a hunger for your word so as we go into the new year, maybe for some of you, like a thing that's going to happen in your life for 2024 is you're going to read more of God's word than you've ever read before in your life. How cool would that be? If there's any hope to actually follow his better plan, to enjoy his glorious presence, to experience his manifest power, it's that we'd know his word and submit to it. And then the enjoyment of that, both for us and those around us, is worth every yes. Mary's response at Elizabeth's experience when she goes to Elizabeth's house is the stuff of legend. But just a couple words. Mary said this in verse 46 and 47 my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior so because of God's grace and because of God's presence I'm not obeying to earn his kindness I'm just celebrating it obedience is not the earning of God's favor it's the enjoyment of it my soul magnifies the Lord. A friend of mine posted something. She said, she said, a mentor told me Christmas is the season of magnification. Our heart tends to magnify both the highs and the lows of the last year. They just seem larger. They loom larger. The wins and losses do at Christmas time. And I think the response to that is, so let's intentionally magnify the savior. Like in the wins and the losses, in the easy season and the difficult seasons, let's just tell our soul, bless the Lord, magnify Him. Because He's our Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And then almost with shock and awe, she says, from now on all generations will call little old me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me and in His holy name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. And here's our hope today, from generation to generation, which means that mercy is available today in our generation. My soul magnifies the Lord. You've heard me say this phrase before, adapted from Matt Chandler. If knowing better meant doing better, then we didn't need Christmas. If knowing better just meant doing better, then the law would have been sufficient. God had given a whole lot of knowing at this point in history. And what we had continued to prove to Him again and again is knowing better does not always equal doing better. Can I get a witness? And knowing that I was going to preach this this morning, that knowing better does not always mean doing better. The Lord, in His providence, had me sitting at the dentist on Monday. And she asked me if I floss every day. And I said, knowing better does not mean doing better. I need a Savior. (laughs) I didn't actually say that. That would have been super weird. But I did chuckle to myself. And she still thought I was weird. But... The reality is we know a lot of things That are better, right? We need a savior We need a rescuer We need greater faith in his presence His power and the goodness of his plan One of my favorite things about this time of year um, Is the sarcastic memes about the song Mary, did you know? They're great Those you can send to me, not Lance If you've got them Load me up with the dad jokes One of my favorite ones I just saw for the first time was like, it just simply said, surely she knows by now. God, so good. (laughs) Honestly, though, the question is not Mary, did you know? The question is Mary, did you believe? And she did. Mary, did you obey? She did. That wasn't based on what she knew. It's based on what she trusted. And the, the thing she trusted in is just as available for you today. And he's not asking you to have a miraculous conception. Like He's asking way less of us than he did of her. So we could trust his heart today.